Hey, Fedheads, you're tuning in to another episode of Sharing Our Pairings. This is Sharing Our Pairings, episode 102, Habanos Edición Limitada. I'm your host, John the Cigar Surgeon, and Sharing Our Pairings broadcast around the world, picked up on the Armed Forces Radio Network. And of course, you can tune in on CigarFederation.com, which is broadcast through YouTube. And tonight, broadcast, as always, through Facebook. And uh, fortunately, we've got all our technical issues resolved. Hopefully, fortunately. So, uh, no jittery video. I apologize for all the weekly listeners and people who tune in live for all of our technical issues last week. I think we've got a handle on them. I am freshly back from Cuba with my Cuba head on, so it's going to be a nice, chill, relaxing show. Uh, I am joined on Sharing Our Pairings by my co-host, as always, Trippy Trent. Trippy, what's going on tonight, brother? Hey there. I've been holding down the fort while you've been away. Right. Uh, taking care of some March Madness Madness. Um, he's a little mad right now right oh yeah it's it's the i'm I'm not sure it was a great idea for us to do a consolation bracket because it's it's just been nuts complicated yeah that's the right word for it so Um, maybe maybe for our viewers and listeners trip uh you know we're down to the last couple weeks of march madness so we'll just co-opt sharing our pairings a little bit um where are we at with march madness Where, where are we at in the brackets and who who do we have coming down to the end here so we are currently in the final four of the main bracket, and then we've also got the consolation bracket, which still has a couple of votes left. Um, so the final four are JSK, Jason Crawl. Mm-hmm. Um, Bishop's Lynn got defeated, so by Nomad, yeah. right? Okay. Yes, um, but actually, Bishop's Lynn and Nomad both got defeated. What? Um, I think in the same yeah in the same day they both. Oh, got defeated, well, that's actually. impossible. Um, and, they can and come so they're back. Both, yes, they're both they in the come lo- back. losers bracket right now. All so right. if you want to vote for them and you're watching live, go to cigarfederation.com and give them a vote. Um, so anyway, in the final or in the in the semifinals rather, we have Jasum Crawl versus the uh, Romacraft Neanderthal. Ooh, tough matchup. Uh, yeah, that's a real tough matchup. And actually, now that I I just realized that I lied. These these are the actual semifinals. We're down to the last two. Oh my god. And so uh, today's vote and tomorrow's vote is going to be the loser's bracket. And then the winner of Jassum Crawl versus Neanderthal will go up against uh, the winner of the loser's bracket. Who it, it is looking like it's probably going to be uh, Bishop's Blend or Martial Law. Very intense. Very intense. I'm looking forward to it. And... Uh, <clears throat> Of course, we are sharing our pairings. We had to give a little love out to the March Madness because we've been working on it for weeks. Trippy's been working hard on it. I did some work on it, and then I decided to leave the country because I'm like, eh, I'm just going to go smoke cigars in random countries, you know, whatever. Um, but we got some interesting stuff to pair tonight. We've got, uh, this is, I think, only the second time we've done Habanos on the show, which is kind of sad because, I mean, Habanos is a significant portion of the world market, but most of our audience will have access to non-Cubans, and as a result, we, you know, generally pair non-Cubans. But tonight we're promo- uh, <clears throat> doing something really interesting by pairing Ramon Iones. It's the uh, 2015 edition Limitada. Um, now, I'm smoking... And, and this is kind of an interesting contrast with the Cubans versus non-Cubans. I'm going to be smoking the box code R-A-E-A-G-O for those box, box code hounds out there. And uh, when I was down in 2015, uh, there was tons of boxes. And I think we went through, if I remember right, five or six different box codes. trying to f- Because you do get different results from different factories. Absolutely different production times, different factories. And the one that came the closest, so the number two for us was the OPG 
box code. Um, yeah, so this is uh, Grand Corona, I think they rated at. It's a 5 and one third by 46 ring gauge, which in uh, science units is 135 millimeters. And uh, goes for 830 CUC, or kooky, as we like to call it. Kooky. So, and, and I have no idea what my box code is. I got mine as a Secret Santa gift uh, from the Saints and Sinners Secret Santa that wow. we did this past year. Nice gift. Um, yeah, not bad at all. Um, there was something in there that I wanted to tag, tag on to, but now I don't remember what it was. Was was it about the different box codes or like the factories or? It might have been the different factories because uh, okay. that's a really interesting thing that you do not see outside of the Cuban market ever. No, ever. Is the same cigar. You could buy two boxes and one box could be made in one factory, another box could be made in another factory. That's yeah. just not something that we ever see. No, I mean, imagine like, uh, so talking about saints, saints and sinners, let's give a little love out to um, to uh, Pete Johnson and all the boys over at Tatawaya. Oh, yeah. So imagine if there was, say, three factories and Pete came out with uh, what? What was the what was the latest, most latest monster that was the Kruger? The Kruger. Okay, so let's say the Kruger came out. And you've got three box codes for the Kruger, uh, which is different date of production and then the different factory. And you smoke it, and you find that you know factory one is smoking not bad, construction not bad. Factory two construction is really good. Cigar is not as good as factory one. And you've got factory three where construction and flavor profile is the best of all three. And again, that can change. So you go a couple months and maybe there's some tough times. Rollers rollers aren't having a good time. So maybe construction on factory three is not so good, but the flavor's still good. Uh, factory two, flavor comes up and construction come up. So And, and there's a lot of that. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are obsessive about box codes. They kind of keep track. Uh, we actually got some uh, super secret squirrel sauce on some box codes uh, and some some really squirrel information about uh, two different cigars and some background there that is not public knowledge, except for apparently a guy from China who uh, went into Partagas and bought $72,000 worth of this cigar. Apparently someone tipped him off. Wow, woo, wee, so $72,000 just dropped it like it was hot. Wow. So I can't, I can't do that. Um so that's, I mean, that, but that's the kind of stuff that happens in the Habanos market is that somebody gets uh, some insider information. Uh, and, you know, for, in that case, I suspect the guy was probably going to take them and flip them, which, you know, I have mixed feelings about. But regardless, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. I mean, it's, you know, some people might be frustrated by the whole box code thing because, you know, if you get a bad cigar and some people might be happy about the box code thing because it means you can find a gem within a, a line that's especially good in a line. It's just kind of part of the differences between Cubans and non-Cubans that, you know, we've kind of grown accustomed to. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it makes, it makes sense for Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a, an interesting, unique factor that is only exclusive to Cubans. It's, yeah. it's weird. It's weird. So, I mean, have you, because we haven't really talked between us in the past very much about uh, Habanos, have you had the chance to smoke a lot of Habanos? Or have you had a chance to smoke a range of Habanos before? Uh, I don't smoke a lot of Habanos. Like maybe, like my average is probably like five a year, okay. uh, which for me is not a lot because I smoke quite a bit. Uh, yep. But I do have a couple friends who are Habanos exclusive, so I've sampled a very, very wide range. I nice. mean, I've smoked, uh, you know, stuff like Jose El, pa- El Pedra, Piedra, mm-hmm. uh, Piedra, yeah, and then I've smoked stuff like a fourteen ninety two. 
Uh, and just really rare stuff that I'll never see again. Nice. And I mean, of all the, I mean, granted you said you've only smoked like an average of five years, but you've had a, a big sampling. So of all the yeah. different markers you've smoked, what sort of brand slash marker would you pit so far as your favorite? So I always call my favorite the PSD4. Okay. Uh, like the Partagas profile just usually hits me right. Mm-hmm. The last couple of years I haven't, I haven't found a Partagas that I've enjoyed very much. Oh no. Like I feel like the last time I had a good one was probably 2012, 2013 production. Oh, that's not right. Yeah. That's not right. I know. Par- but Partagas, again, I haven't smoked a whole lot of Partagas tends to be, and we actually had this discussion when I was down in Cuba about what everyone's, what everyone's favorite marker was. And it's really tough. And I had to pick one and I went with Partagas out of my gut check. But, you know, on any given day, it could be Ramon Iones or it could be Bolivar. I kind oh, of yeah, find, you know, Bolivar is so creamy. They've got so many great performing cigars. But then I come back to like, you know, some of the Partagas stuff, like Lusitania's and some of the 898's and some of the harder to get stuff is just it's so good and then i go oh yeah but what about the monte cristo you know you get the monte cristo uh edition limitadas and the 109s and it's like oh yeah so you know it changes from time to time depending on the flavor profile i'm looking for but uh i do have to say that this Ramonione's edition limitada 2015 really surprised me in a lot of ways because it's got a lot of spice as it as it progresses um, I think you were commenting before the show when we just sort of kicked it off that it kind of starts out with this uh, big coffee kick. Or, yeah, uh, big, huge yeah, coffee. Yeah, huge coffee kick. And, I mean, that's what I got the first time I picked it up. It was like it was like a coffee crisp. I don't know if you guys smoke, uh, drink, drink, eat coffee crisps or can get coffee crisps, but it's chocolate and coffee. And that's okay. what this cigar is for me. It's chocolate yeah, that's, and coffee. That's basically how it tastes with, yeah. with some spice mixed in. Now... I do have to say, after um, being down in Cuba, my palate is a little supercharged because I smoked a ridiculous number of Cuban cigars. So my my palate is probably a little bit more keen to pick up notes from Cuban tobacco than it would be normally. And one of the things I'm getting out of this, which I don't remember getting in the past, is there's a floral note underneath sort of that spice, underneath that chocolate, underneath that coffee. There's a little bit of floral note. And I'm not normally a big floral fan, and I don't remember getting this out of the original review so maybe it's something that's kind of developed over time but it's you know it's interesting yeah and floral is an interesting note for me too i know we've talked about this on the show before for sure mm-hmm. a cigar that's super floral to me is terrible something yeah. that's just overpoweringly floral but i feel like floral is actually a really good uh component to go along with spice if yes. you've got some black pepper and some floral oh man it's heaven yeah, I made the mistake of uh, going deep on the uh, Cuban Infante Regional from a couple of years back, and with, and I'd never really smoked Infantes before, but they're a Cuban Regional, and I knew, you know, worst case scenario, I have some really good cigars in my hand that someone else is going to want to take off me, and mm-hmm. they were super floral, and uh, I smoked a few of them, and I was like, oh man, this is so not within my my palate, um, but that happens. Normally, I don't find most of the uh, most of the habanos that I smoke are floral. You know, typically they kind of, you know, Monte Cristo. You get that nuttiness, the creaminess. Part of guess you get a little bit more earthy and spice, and a little bit of creaminess underneath that. So it's you know, every different market kind of has its own flavor profile that I've come to love. But we're not just talking about cigars tonight. We are, in We're fact, not. talking about pairing as well. So I'm just going to hop right in because I'm eager to sample something I brought back from the island. And this is uh, Ron Kubai. 
And uh, a lot of people out there maybe won't recognize Ron Kabai. I certainly was not familiar with Ron Kabai. Um, I've you know, had certainly my fair share of rum trying to drink Cuba Dry. I've so far failed, but I'm, I'm working on it. Um, the reason that a lot of people maybe haven't heard of Ron Kabai is because up until 2010, they're really a domestic-only producer. So it really wasn't until 2010 that they said, well, you know, we've got this really great product. People seem to really love it. Um, let's put it out for export. Now, it's still obviously readily available in the island, but, you know, now you can buy it outside if you're in a, in a country that allows trade with Cuba and has that, that rum. You can get it. Uh, I've never seen it on the shelf up here in Canada because I suspect that there's just not enough demand for it. Um, but <clears throat> a little bit about Ron Kabai. They weren't, they weren't founded a long time ago. They were actually only founded in 1964, uh, located in Santa Domenico, Via Clara. Um, they're often referred to as the taste of the center. And the reason for that is because they're essentially located like dead center in Cuba. Um, and what's interesting about this, and, and, and this information was passed to me by someone who uh, I know and love in Cuba, a very good friend. And uh, what's interesting about this is there's sort of two types of rum. There's 90% of the world's production of rum, which is often often called industrial rum, which sounds kind of terrible, but isn't. And that means rum that's been made from molasses. And molasses, of course, is taking sugarcane juice, boiling it down until molasses is formed, then taking molasses and distilling it. And that's 90% of the world's rum. Agricultural rum is a completely different beast. And agricultural rum sort of originated with the French... Uh, taking over different islands and uh, because all the islands were so great for producing sugarcane, instead of boiling the sugarcane juices down, they actually fermented the sugarcane juices directly. And what you get is a completely different rum experience. And, you know, by math, only 10% of the world's rum are actually made from sugarcane juice. And, you know, we all know rum, that sort of sweet, rich brown sugar, um, almost sickly sweet sometimes flavor. Well, sugarcane or, or uh, agricultural rum uh, is oftentimes more of a dry, sort of a scotch whiskey type flavor. So it's a lot more nuanced. It's a little bit earthy, and it's got a very clean finish. There's no very sweet finish. And where I'm going with this, because I am going somewhere with this, is that the Ron Kubai is actually a vatting of both. So they actually use both and then combine them together to come up with a final spirit, which, um, as it turns out, is really interesting. Interesting. And, yeah. I, as... So I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I believe that Florida Kanya is also I didn't know the term before, but mm. what I now know is called an agricultural rum. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean because cause they grow a crap ton of sugarcane there. Yeah, and it's got a way different profile from right yeah. from most rums. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting, and I did not know this until tonight, and it makes sense, but. Uh, you know, different countries have different rules regarding spirit distillation, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, by law, Cuban rum has to be produced only from Cuban sugarcane, which as it turns out is not the end of the world because there's a crap ton of sugarcane on Cuba. It's ideally suited for growing sugarcane. So yeah. turns out no shortage. Um, now, before we sort of get into the spirit here, I just want to uh, remind our audience that they are tuned into Sharing Our Pairings, episode 102, Habanos Edition Limitada. And we are doing a bit of a short pour because... Uh, I'm a little smoked out. I've, I've had a few cigars in the last two weeks going to Nicaragua and Cuba. I'm being a bit of a baby. But Sharing Our Pairings is brought to you by Gurkha Cigars, makers of the world's finest cigars. Check out the Heritage or the Heritage Maduro. Go talk to your B&M. They'll hook you up. I guarantee they'll got a Gurkha that's right for you. Go talk to your B&M. Always support your local B&Ms. 
And so we're talking about rum. I'm just going to hold this up and I'm going to start drinking because I'm eager to drink. Uh, it's 40% ABV. It's kind of got that golden color to it, you know, typically rum colored, although, you know, not as dark as maybe some of the rums that I've had. But nosing it, it just smells so interesting. It's got that sort of brown sugar, that toasty brown sugar that you'd expect from rum. But I, but off the nose, I definitely get that sort of very clean, almost um, floral and uh, dry nose. It's it's yummy, and I've I, I was taught a trick down there with this particular rum. You really want to pour it in the glass and let it rest, and it actually does. You know, sometimes like Scotch whiskey, you got to pour it in the glass and give it a few minutes to kind of acclimate to the environment before you drink it. And it did change quite a bit. I, I admit I cheated before the show and had a couple of sips. That's that's just how I roll. But uh, trippy. Let's you talk about your pairing. I've been I've been talking for like ten minutes straight about my rum because I love it so much. But why don't you talk about yeah. your rum? Um, I got one that I don't know if I love quite as much. Um, but on my way back from Nicaragua a couple weeks ago, I had a layover in the Mexican airport. Uh, so I picked up a, a little bottle of Havana club seven. Nice. Um, since now we're allowed to bring it home if we travel basically anywhere. Um, and it just applies to our normal duty limit, which typically isn't much of an issue to bring a bottle or two back. No. Um, so this is what, again, I didn't know the term before. This is an industrial room cause it is very sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's aged in new, I believe they call them American oak barrels. Yeah. Yep. Even though they're not, it's not U.S. oak. It's just that type of oak grown yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, for seven years. So this is going to be closer to, uh, you know, what people normally think of as an aged rum than something like Florida Cana because that's aged in second use barrels. Um, and this is kind of, this is where... Havana Club starts these sipping rums. Uh, the what's the younger one? The three year, I think. Yeah, the three year, the three year, and I think they call it the three year Blanco, or, the, yeah, or they just call it Havana Club Blanco. Yeah, there's uh, well, yeah. there's Havana Club Blanco, and uh, I think it's a Special mm. is, is the dark one, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of those are meant as mixing rums. The yeah. Blanco is meant for like you know a mojito. While I, the I do love a good mojito. Oh yeah. Oh me too. <laughs> While the especial is meant for like a Cuba Libre, you know, mix a little bit with some Coke and you're done. Yeah. But this one is their is their slightly more complex sipping rum, um, and I've noticed it's it's got a really unique character. It starts off almost dry, like kind of tobaccoy, uh, earthy, and then yep. you get that hit of just real sweetness it's really sweet it's really sweet yeah uh, so i'm going to take a couple sips and and see how it goes for me copy that so talking about my tasting experience so far i mean it's good and it's it's different and you know unfortunately my thing with spirits is uh, i tend to collect spirits rather than drink spirits because i find something that i really like that's really unique or interesting and i buy it and so I end up having, you know, 30 bottles of different stuff that doesn't taste anything alike because that's what I roll for. And, you know, I love Florida Kenya. I drink Florida Kenya. I've got the um, Maestro's Selection from Cuba. I've got a Havana Club. I've got another Havana Club. Um, uh, what's Oh, Legendario, Ron Legendario. And they're all very different from each other. Ron Legendario is almost sickeningly sweet. This is what I would classify as a, like a really nice sipping rum. Um, I'm going to take a sip here and see if I can do this without putting too much dead air. 
I mean, right up front, instead of getting that sickly sweet, what I get is like a smoky, earthy combination. Um, and it's almost like a, like a vermouth in terms of dryness. So it really carries the flavor through the, through the sip. And then it finishes with some sort of orange rind. And again, with the normal rum, I really finish with a, like a really syrupy, thick mouth, mouth coating. I don't get that at all here. It's a very crisp, very clean pairing, uh, very clean finish. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a different pairing experience for a cigar. Because if you've got a cigar that maybe doesn't have a lot of strength or maybe is a little bit lighter in the body, a little bit more nuanced, this is going to be a great pairing with that because it's not going to take away from those core flavors. And I do find that although this Ramon Iones does have a lot of chocolate and coffee, it's not necessarily, there are some low end sort of very nuanced notes to it. And I think they might be run over with, you know, any of the higher end or more industrial type type rums that I've got. How, how are the first few sips for you on that uh, delicious Havana club? Good. It's interesting that you mentioned vermouth because I do, it does remind me, the finish reminds me a little of like a, a sweet vermouth mm-hmm. where you've got kind of a, a sweetness that sticks to the palate. Yeah. But other than that, the finish is very clean. So you're kind of left with just that sweetness and a little bit of kind of a uh, astringent character in your mouth. Um, I'm yeah. not sure it goes that well with the cigar. I do feel like this is this is a pretty elegant cigar, and I think it does yeah. get run over a little bit. Yeah, I think the Ramoneones Club Iones is maybe more suited towards, and I would say scotch whiskey, but I think I'm really thinking... You know, obviously a really clean high-end rum, like, um, actually a Zacapa might be a really good pairing with this. Or I can see that. So, um, but I could also see like something really nice, like an Irish whiskey going really well with this because Irish whiskey tends not to be, uh, sort of in your face, like a lot of Scotch whiskeys, you know that? Yeah, it's that, very refined. It's very refined. Yeah. And I think that those might be an interesting combination. Um, I'm kind of at the halfway point of my cigar and I'm getting a lot more of that chocolate, nougaty, creamy. I'm just reminded of why I love this cigar so much. It's it, it's a really good addition, Limitada. And I guess one of the nice things about Cuban tobacco is they've got sort of this history of people buying the tobacco, buying the cigars, and then aging them for a long period of time. And they do change. I mean, all cigars change, whether it's oh, yeah. non-Cuban or Cuban. But I do find that with Cuban cigars, they certainly do uh, you know, marry a little bit more as time goes on. So, you know, the way it smokes in, in a lot of ways, the way it smokes the day you buy it is not the way it's going to smoke in a year. It's not the way you can smoke it in two years or three years. And I think a lot of people who are really into the Habanos market tend to have a pretty good palate for trying something and saying, well, this is smoking fresh. Okay. But in a year or two, this is going to be phenomenal. Or, you know, this is something that's smoking very poorly right now. And this is really going to need at least a year or two of age to be, to be excellent. But, uh, you know, the almost two year mark, this is, um, well, I guess a year and a half, but it's good. I like yeah. It. It's smoking fantastically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like you said, a lot of people can, uh, kind of, they can really gauge where a cigar is going to go and how ready it is. So I know a lot of, a lot of, like I was talking before about the, uh, the guys who smoke only Cubans. Yep. A lot of them won't touch most cigars unless they're over five years. So they're mm-hmm. buying five years ahead. Wow. And then they'll sample every few, every year or two, they'll sample like, you know, stuff from last year just to see how it's progressing. Um, and then once they find something that's smoking really good, they'll just rage on it for a little while. Smoke half a box sometimes. 
just to, you know, enjoy the state that it's in before it changes further. Now, the only downside, of course, of that is that <clears throat> in a lot of cases, especially if it's really good and people get wind of it, you buy a bunch of boxes and you come back five years and you're like, oh man, this is really good. I should get more boxes of this. And sometimes just not, just not possible. Yeah, just not, not possible. Uh, I did have a funny experience. I'm going to share uh, a funny anecdote where I was at a shop buying cigars with uh, people that I know from people that I know. And uh, I said, uh, hey, do you, you know, what, do you, what are you looking for? And I said, well, I'm looking for something different, something unique to take back because you know, I have an allotment and I have to fill that allotment and I tend to want to fill it with stuff that's interesting. And they said, uh, well, do you have any, you know, do you have any H up and mag 46s? I said, yeah, you know, I got, I got mag 46s, you know, I like them. They're good, but you know, I don't think I want to fill my allotment. It's like, do you have mag 46s from 2005? And I said, no, would you like mag 46s from 2005? And I'm like, yes. So, you know, sometimes that's just how it goes. I mean, like I said, it's different, um, because there isn't. You know, I do firmly believe that in the non-Cuban market, there's lots of cigars um, that age beautifully, like a lot of uh, Crown Heads stuff, John Huber stuff, uh, mm-hmm. tends to age really nicely. Like it, mar- it, it marries really beautifully. Um, and, and I'm thinking of that because I've, I've got a bunch of his cigars and I kind of go back every six months to see how they're kind of progressing. But there isn't really that same culture around non-Cubans, which I, you know, I kind of like that. I kind of like the whole like, checking something six months later, seeing how it's progressing and then finding that rare gem that, you know, two years later, it's just turned into this totally different or maybe even more elegant cigar. And I, I don't know. I kind of like that. It's fun. Yeah. There's definitely a different, uh, there's a different culture associated with Cuban cigars, which comes from the, uh, the different way of manufacturing them. Yeah. I mean, you know, they don't age the colognes as long and, you know, you don't see many Cuban cigars that have like a, a wrapper that's been aged for three or four years. Yeah, that just doesn't happen. And on the same side of that, you don't see Cuban cigars generally. There are some, but you don't see cigars that were held back in the aging room for six months, like yeah. you know Mombasho does, or yeah. you know most most companies minimum, do about minimum ninety six days. months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cuban cigars, they roll them, stick them in a box, and they're out the door pretty much. Yeah. Um, and that's part of where that culture comes from is because if you get a cigar that's fresh from the distributor, it's probably going to be way, way too fresh and it needs time to settle down because in Nicaraguan and Honduran and Dominican Republic factories, that happens at the factory before they start shipping. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting things, one of the little anecdotes, and we'll get more to this in the After Dark segment, but one of the interesting anecdotes is I uh, saw some of the darkest wrappers I've ever seen in my life on a bunch of Cuban cigars that I tried, a bunch of cigars that are coming, and a bunch of cigars that I picked up. And I was really shocked. And I mean like Maduro dark wrappers that are like oily and rich and silky. And I was very, very surprised. And I almost wonder if this sort of marks, because we, we have seen very much a, a substantial shift in the Cuban market going to large ring gauge. And you know that they're going to large ring gauge, not because of the European market, but because of the American market. Yeah. Canadians are not demanding big ring gauge stuff at all. So it's absolutely being driven by the American market. And it's interesting that in addition to that, now you're starting to see a lot darker wrappers, a lot more um, full-bodied cigars. I mean, you know, Cubans tend not to be almost 
almost exclusively across the board, you'd say the average Cuban is going to be medium. They're blending for medium, and I think they're really starting to blend stronger. And again, I think that's because that's what you know the quote-unquote underground American market is kind of demanding. Yeah, and I mean, even though it's not legal to acquire them here, uh, you know, it happens, and it's a big market for the for the Cubans. It's a big market. So as we wrap up, so good. As we wrap up our uh, short pair edition here for our Armed Forces Radio Network listeners, your thoughts on the pairing with the Ramon Iones 2015 edition, La Matada, and the Havana Club 7? I think it started off a little a little too strong on the rum side, uh, and it was kind of over overblowing the cigar. As I got further into the cigar and as my palate acclimated a little bit to the rum, I think that it, it actually makes a much better pairing than I first thought uh i mean this rum just tastes like it's made to go with cigars yeah it's got so many complementary flavors to cigars even more so than than a typical rum uh that you would buy like in a liquor store in the united states um i just think it's got it's got all the right notes to go with a cigar yeah i think i think that's probably true of a lot of cuban rums is that their their body is is really designed to go with with about with tobacco and i think you know, that probably comes from the fact that they've had tobacco culture for a few hundred years. And, um, you know, I'm sure that's in the, in the background head of whoever's doing that distilling and the, and the master distiller is doing that combination of barrels. I would say that, uh, I'm very fortunate to have run into a person that recommended this Ron Kabai to take back with me because I think it is an excellent pairing. And, uh, you know, I do think that this particular cigar is really designed to go with a nuanced spirit, not a full flavor. You know, I wouldn't pair this with an Islay whiskey. I wouldn't pair this with a really heavily sherried scotch. You want to pair this with something that's nuanced, something that's subtle, something that's got a bit of a range of flavors and is not going to overpower and take away some of the nuances, especially when you're smoking an additional Matata. You really don't want to take away from that smoking experience because, it's you know, it's not like you can just go down to the store and buy uh, another couple boxes. They're not regular production, and that's the tough with tough thing with the uh, additional limitadas for sure. Yeah, absolutely. They, I mean, a lot of them. Once people get wind that it's a good one, they'll sell out, and you can still buy them, but you're going to buy them at a pretty hefty markup. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to take a moment and thank all of our Armed Forces Radio Network listeners who are out there and have tuned in for this 30 minutes short pour edition. Uh, we know that you guys are tr- uh, you guys are built to do things that we are not built to do. And we appreciate you wherever you are stationed in the world, protecting our freedoms, keeping us safe, uh, sometimes bored, sometimes not, but hope you've all got a chance to enjoy this weekend. Maybe enjoy a cigar, uh, courtesy of the, you know, cigar rights of America, or maybe just private shipping. Um, cause I know those guys out there really hook you up and, uh, hope you have a chance. So thanks very much. Stay safe. And as we say, and share your pranks, drink better, but drink less. And we're back. We're, of course, doing a After Dark segment because it's only a half an hour episode and uh, we've got, we got a bit of a cigar left and, uh, yeah. you know. we got too much to talk about. we got too much to talk you, about. You've spent a week in Cuba and we got to hear all about it. Uh, before we get to that, Roger. Bob, Bob Langmade, our old friend Bob Langmade. Oh, I love Bob, man. Good oh, guy. Oh, me too. He's a good guy. Uh, but he just commented on Facebook, even if he had the means, he would not have the patience to age Cuban cigars, which I can, I can kind of understand that. Absolutely. Unless yeah. you've got, unless you've got so many cigars that you open your humidor and half of the cigars are just hidden and you forget about them, it would be hard for me to to just ignore those boxes for months or years. 
Well, and I think that's why a lot of, you know, Habanos-only smokers um, buy so many boxes because you think, you know, if you're a semi-regular smoker, if you're smoking, you know, even three to five cigars a week, you can rapidly go through a box of cigars in a month. And Easily. if Yeah, and if you, you know, even for us, you know, a lot of Cubans tend to have, or uh, pardon me, a lot of Canadians, not Cubans, a lot of Canadians tend to travel to Cuba to buy cigars because, quite frankly, it's cheaper for us to fly to Cuba for a week, smoke a bunch of cigars, bring a bunch of cigars back, even paying the duty. It's a, and, and I say this as someone who operates 16 cigar stores, <laughs> and it makes me sad inside that we've gotten to that point with taxes, but it's cheaper to fly to Cuba and buy a bunch of cigars and bring them back than it is to buy at the local shop. And that, I mean... It brutalizes me, and that's why I, you know I'm very passionate, very very uh, strong feelings about people joining the, C- the Cigar Rights of America, CRA.org. If you're not a member, for the love of God, join and be a member because yes. they need your support. The cigar industry in the United States needs your support. This, you know, the tax situation that we see up in here in Canada, I don't want to see that down in the states. I don't want to see it ruining the industry. And there's a lot of people who put their heart and soul into it, and. Uh, yeah, that's my little that's my little rat. And a big thing to say about CRA is uh, you're going to sign up for what is it? 35, 45 bucks. It's only 35 bucks a year. 35 bucks it's a cheap. year. Um, and you can buy multiple years and depending on how many years you buy and stuff, they'll give you free stuff. Yeah. If you sign up for 35 bucks, you're getting two free cigars, which uh, they range from I'm trying to remember what some of the uh, the ones I've gotten are. That, I mean, I've gotten brands that I haven't really heard of, though I can't recall what that brand name is. Uh, but a lot of them are going to be Padrones, Opus X's, My Father, uh, Don Papin, Tatuaje. And they're going to just pick two out of a, a hat and send them to you just for signing up. And the more years you sign up for, you can get like, I think there's like a 10-pack. There's a travel humidor you can get. You can even get a lifetime membership, which gets you a bunch of free stuff. Support the industry that supports you. That's, you know, that's my message. I'm a Canadian. I support the CRA. Yeah, exactly. So, you don't even live here. I don't even They're live not here. doing anything for you. Oh, well, they are, actually. So, are absolutely, because the C- by the CRA fighting for the rights of cigar manufacturers and cigar consumers, that keeps the price down. And by keeping the price down, okay. it keeps the price through the supply chain down to Canada. And on top of that... Here's where I go crazy. I love boutique cigars. I love boutique cigar manufacturers. I love big cigar manufacturers as well. But the only way that little cigar boutique manufacturers can get their product up here in Canada is by that price staying low and the taxes staying low so that they can make their product palatable and available on the, on the Canadian market. Yeah. You know, people like Mombacho, people like Epic Cigars. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of small manu- manufacturers out there and their product is on the Canadian market as a result of that. So we mm-hmm. appreciate that. Mm. And I appreciate this rum. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, the, the more of this I drink, the better I think it is. It's kind of how it goes in Cuba. The more rum I drink, the better I think it is. Um, <clears throat> you know, and I have to say, with no disrespect to the people of Miami, because I love the people of Miami, but um, there's, this, there's, there's some kind of mint that's in Cuba that you just can't get in Miami, and mojitos just don't, say, don't taste the same. If they did taste the same, I would fly down to Miami and I would rage for days on mojitos. <laughs> but, but the mojitos in Cuba are just incredible. Just incredible. Now i got to yeah. go to Cuba just to drink a mojito. Mm. Change your life. <laughs> so, of course, we're talking about, uh, we just came back from Cigar Safari a couple weeks ago. And uh, because apparently I don't like to have a happy, healthy relationship, I thought, what's the best thing to do? 
when going on a cigar trip is I should immediately go on another cigar trip right afterwards. That's probably the best thing that one could do, and that's what I did. So Yeah, a newly engaged man. I yeah. mean, the just thing you my can luck. do to save your relationship is just go on two weeks of vacation. Just take off, go smoke a bunch of cigars. Now, to be fair, um, a good portion of the reason I go to Cuba, two, twofold. I mean, obviously cigars are part of it, but... I have a very good group of friends from Ontario, Toronto that I go down with. And some of these guys I haven't seen in three or four years. I certainly haven't smoked cigars with them in three or four years. So a lot of that is, you know, I get to go down and spend four or five days with these guys, hang out and catch up. And it's a great experience. And I do know people down in Cuba, some really great people, um, you know, and it's nice to catch up with them and see them. Um, you know, Hamlet Paredes from Rocky Patel I met Hamlet many years ago as a result of going down to Cuba and running into him and forming a relationship. And, you know, that's kind of the fun part of travel for me is going places, meeting people. You know, Robert Holt, who's going to be on our Cigar Chat show tomorrow night, I met him down uh, randomly when we were on uh, Deer State Cigar Safari. And, uh, you know, we got chatting. Super nice guy, super classy guy, real gentleman. But those are the kind of relationships that you form in person that you can't really form, you know, from from Skype or over the internet. Um, obviously, at the IPCPR, that's a great chance to form relationships, but uh, there's also a lot of drinking involved, so, you know, it's a little yeah. bit different. A little bit different. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a lot less intimate. There's a million yeah. other people there who are also, mm-hmm. who they're also meeting in the same week. And when you, when you just meet when you're, when you're down in, in country, uh, you know, it's a little more personal. And yeah. like you said, the, Going on these trips just to smoke with those guys, that's exactly why I go on Cigar Safari. Yeah. It's so I can see that group of guys that I only see when I'm going on Cigar Safari. I mean, I love Drew Estate, but I don't go just to see Drew Estate. Yeah. I go because I get to spend time with people I like. Yeah. Yeah. Which many of them work for Drew Estate as well, so it's a, it's a win-win. Oh, yeah. Yeah, works out really well. So, um do we have any questions from the audience? Do we have any Facebook questions, any SIGVID questions that we could Let's maybe uh, get into before we, before I uh, yak on about Cuba and bore everyone to death, which is undoubtedly going to happen? Uh, Don Bleeker says, who uh, was, was, of course, on this most recent safari, and he spent, I believe it was 13 days in Nicaragua, which is like... At that, that point, you just like don't even come that. home. Yeah, yeah you just, just don't, you just come, don't home. come home. No, Just buy a house yep. in Esteli, live there w- forever. Work as a cigar roller. Um, so he says he thinks special editions make for a more special experience, mm-hmm. knowing that you can't just repeat them indefinitely, which is absolutely part of what makes an edition limitata special. And I think, you know, speaking, extending that out to the non-Cuban market, I think that's why a lot of people get maybe salty about um, limited editions from previous years coming back is because there is that emotional aspect of when I buy this, yeah. I can't get any more, you know, and they, they you know, I get that. <clears throat> the same token... It's kind of nice when a really nice, you know, like the Cuatro Cinco from Hoya de Nicaragua. I love that original cigar. And then they came back with it, and I was like, ah, they reblended it. So I was like, okay, it's not the same cigar, and it's excellent. Maybe they'll come back with a Cuatro Cinco. Um, you know, I, my, my, I can't count to 50 in Espanol, so I apologize. But whatever the 50th <laughs> anniversary, I can, I can count to like, Yeah, I can count. Yeah, exactly. Cinco, Cinco Zero. Uh, I can only count to a certain amount that, to cover cab fare and negotiating bills. Um, 
But maybe they'll come back with a 50th anniversary version that's slightly tweaked, and I like that. I, I like the idea of coming back with an edition Limitada that's slightly different from the original edition Limitada. That's kind of cool. But uh, I do get people out there who, you know, get upset about a, a limited edition coming back as a regular production or semi-regular. I, I understand that. I agree with Don. Yeah, uh, me too. Um, Don, also, since we started talking about that, he has a question, which is, were there any special edition rums in Cuba? Like anything that is maybe limited to non-export? That's an excellent question. Um, I should have asked that question um, because that's typically what I did when I went to Scotland. Is I said, "Tell me all the the distilleries that make stuff that's not for export." And I did. I'm see. Don should have been sending me hints to be like, "Hey, yeah, buy this really good rum." But in addition to that, buy a couple of bottles of stuff that isn't for export. Um, I'm, I might be going down for the Partagas Festival in November, so uh, mm. maybe that's a great opportunity to uh, find a bunch of bottles that aren't for export. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. Oh, cool. Any other questions from uh, it's my mumble cigar tack talk? Mumble, Any other questions mumble. from the uh, audience or Facebook or anything like that uh, before we get into the Cuba, well? Actually, Cuba we, we did have a question that I already answered at Cigar Federation in the chat, um, but I'll answer it again just so our our listeners can hear. Copy cigar that. chat will be back tomorrow with a guest live. It's been a long time since we've had a live show with a guest. Yep, um, I blame Logan coming back. Um, it's we're gonna have Robert Holt from Southern Draw Cigars, and like I said, super classy, super gentleman. Um, we've we've had him on sharing our pairings, um, which was a hell of an experience. So uh, really, really looking forward to catching up with him. He's got some new releases tomorrow night. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited to to watch that or participate in it. I'm not sure what we're doing yet. I don't know what we're doing either. Uh, we'll figure that out. So now let's talk about Cuba. How was Cuba? Cuba. Cuba was interesting, man. Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of um, manufacturers out there that have uh, strong feelings about Cuba, and I respect them um, because they have experiences that I don't. Um, as a Canadian, I have a unique perspective because, um, you know, I don't have family that have been impacted by the Cuban regime. Um, so my approach is a little bit different. And uh, as a Canadian, you know, we tend to go down to Cuba a lot partially because it's really inexpensive for us, partially because it's ex- extremely safe for us as travelers. There is certainly an aspect of the fact that it's extremely cheap. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I like to think of Canadians as good ambassadors. So, you know, most of the Canadians that I go to, that I know that go down to Cuba and have been going down to Cuba for years um, tend to go down because of the people, um, tend to try and support the people that are down there. You know, they've been suffering through an embargo and in a lot of cases they can't get regular household goods. So part of that trip is, you know, bringing stuff down for the people. Um, you know, you might have families who support down there. So you bring down basic household goods like, you know, maybe aspirin or toothbrushes or stuff like that. Um, this is the first I've been, I've been to Cuba many times and this is the first time I've flown through the Havana airport. Part of the reason we don't normally fly through the Havana airport is because they're known to be a little bit tougher on taking cigars out. Um, and when you're taking a ton of cigars out, you don't really want to run into an issue where some of those cigars are seized. But I have to say, flying through the Van Airport versus the Veradero Airport, uh, it was a way better experience. From Veradero, <laughs> you have to take almost a three and a half hour, sometimes plus, bus from Veradero to Havana. So if you're flying into Veradero and you get in at eight, you're not getting in Havana till like midnight, twelve thirty, and that that really sucks because you're really blowing the first day completely. You're and paying you, for a hotel that night, but you're not getting to experience anything. Yeah, you're not getting well. It's the worst thing to do with a vacation. 
That's that said. A lot of the cra- crazy Canadians go to the National Hotel and they'll smoke till three or four in the morning, have a <laughs> mojito because that's just. I mean, the first time down, uh, a lot of the guys came in and we ended up staying up all night. Watch. So I watched the sunset smoking cigars and watched the sunrise smoking cigars, and it was an interesting experience. I was pretty tired, but the uh, second it, thing it, is, go ahead. Let me ask a question about that. That's yeah. in the same night. Yeah, same night. Oh, man, that sounds rough. It was a long night. It was a good night, but it was a long night. And on the tail end of it, there's, there's, there's a reverse. So you got to take a three-hour, three-plus-hour uh, ride back to Veradero, sit for the plane for two and a half, three hours before you get on the flight, and hope that that flight isn't delayed. Things, I, I expected, honestly, I expected it to be a complete gong show, especially with travel opening up. There's a lot more Americans traveling to Cuba. Um it was a painless experience. Coming in was painless. Going out was painless. Uh, I feel like I got it almost a full day, maybe a day and a half back as a result of that. Um, and, you know, the airport was uh, remarkably efficient given my experiences with airports in the past in Cuba. It was uh, remarkably efficient. Yeah, that's that's one thing. I mean, you've already answered this, but that's one thing that I meant to ask you in Nicaragua is why – I had heard you at some point talk about like the three-hour bus ride, and I was like, I swear I've seen flights to Havana. Yeah. Why would you have to get on a bus for three hours to get there? Um, but that makes sense now. Yeah. And also, we've got a uh, Edward from uh, from Drew Estate just says, "Yo, what's up, John and Trip?" Yo, what's and up, what Eddie? Up, Edward. Edward's Taking Edward's our man. Nicaragua. Taking care of us, getting our cigar bag. I mean, Henry took care of us too, for sure. But of course, Edward Edward was also. There's several moments. Where Edward was working for the group, he worked hard for the group. Had oh, yeah. to throw him. He threw himself under the bus a couple times for us, which we appreciated. Hooked us up. Um, Edward's a super good guy. I love Edward. All right, that's all I've got for that. That's so all you can got? continue telling us about Cuba now. Yeah, Roger that. So, uh, like I said, one of the interesting things is to kind of see how the islands evolved over the years. Um, you know, when I started going down in 2013 versus now. Uh, it's kind of, it, it kind of like it's kind of like going back to Esteli. You know, you think about Esteli in 2013, you think about Esteli in 2017, and Esteli has changed remarkably, almost in some cases so much that you you know don't even recognize it for the better. And I think that's happened with with uh, Havana, with Cuba in general, is that things are getting better um, with the embargo embargo loosening. Um, one of the things that I noticed uh, remarkably so in 2015 was people were speaking their mind more, which if you've been to Cuba, you know, the one thing you'd know for sure is that it's a communist government and you do not openly speak your mind. You do not speak about politics. Uh, those are the kind of things that could get you landed in jail. And starting in 2015, I noticed a remarkable shift where, um, average normal workers would complain about their day, which doesn't seem like a big thing to you and me because we live with freedoms every day, but they don't have the freedoms to speak their mind. And it was shocking the first time I heard that. I was like, that's a really dangerous thing to say to a tourist or someone you don't know who could potentially turn you in. Um, and that's carried through. Uh, that attitude that attitude is really loosened up. Um, you know, I, I found a lot more open conversations, frankly, conversations that three years ago would have shocked me in Cuba because no one would have talked that openly, uh, certainly in, in public places, would never have talked that openly. In private, maybe, with us. Well, but, yeah. in, uh, when we were in Nicaragua at, at one of the cigar factories, we met a, an Humberto. ex-Cuban. Yeah, yeah Humberto. Humberto. And with uh, he still had that attitude. Yep. I mean, he was like, uh, who was it? Somebody asked him a question about Cuba, and he was, his reaction was kind of like, 
I'll answer that question, but you guys can't tell anybody. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, much respect for the people that had to leave Cuba and lost their property and lost family members yeah. and people and friends. And they know, um, because that was, that has been a reality in Cuba for a very long time. And so Humberto's reaction didn't surprise me in the slightest. I mean that, you know, some of the relationships we've built in Cuba over the last four or five years, um, you know, those people really have to come to, cause in a lot of cases, I mean, I hate to say it, but you're putting your, your future and your, your safety in the hands of a complete stranger. Um, so it's very unusual for someone to open up to you. Um, so his reaction was, uh, not at all surprising to me in the slightest. Yeah. Under, understandable. I mean, uh, when you, when you grew up with that mentality, yeah. uh, even speaking about it can be, can be tough. Yeah, Absolutely. So the food was great, as always. Um, I know a lot of people uh, go down to resorts, especially Canadians go down to resorts, and the first thing they do is complain about the food. And I would say that doesn't surprise me because it'd be like going to Nicaragua and saying, well, I can't get a Big Mac. It's like, yeah, you can't get a Big Mac because it's Nicaragua. But what you can get is some excellent fried cheese, some excellent fried plantains, hella good steak, beans and rice, and the problem is that a lot of people travel to those countries and they want, you know, they want a buffet of food that's Americanized, for lack of better explanation. And it's like the first thing I want to do when I go to a different country is experience the culture and food of that country. I don't want to I don't want to go to another country and have the kind of food that I'm used to at home. So can Cubans cook uh, westernized food? <laughs> No, they, they can't. I mean, the worst thing about, I mean, I hate to say it, uh, and hopefully this doesn't get me into trouble, but the worst thing about, uh, the daily food is breakfast because they try to do a westernized breakfast buffet and it sucks. It's Mm. terrible. Uh, you know, I kind of tend to stick to rice and beans and then we have a big lunch of, you know, um, pork or, uh, lobster or chicken or all the stuff that they can cook that they cook the hell out of, you know, Ropo Vieja is really good. Um, so when it, you know, so a lot of people say, well, my food experience there is really lousy. And I say to them, well, you're just going to the wrong restaurant. Yeah. You're yeah, ordering know, the cheeseburger. You're ordering, you're ordering the cheeseburger in Cuba. And what you need to do is order their specialty. And if you order their specialty, it's, it's freaking good. I mean, we, we eat like Kings and we tend to, um, we eat very different um, because we tend to have sort of a light breakfast and then we either have a light lunch and a huge dinner or a, a huge uh, huge lunch and then an empanadado cubano, uh, Cuban sandwich, which, uh, oh, oh my God, n- nothing beats a Cuban sandwich at one in the morning after a couple bottles of rum. You know, you're just starting to get hungry. You've been smoking cigars all day and you, uh, you get a, a sandwich, cubano sandwich. Oh, so good. So, Man, I, I really want to go to Cuba. You know, I think it's I think it's an interesting experience. I think it's an eye-opening experience. Like I said, we ran it. I wrote up an article on it. And uh, I didn't talk about a lot of my experience, and I won't talk about a lot about my experience because um, that's just how it goes. But uh, we did run into a lot of Americans. And as Canadians, you know, I, again, I you know, A, we kind of feel like we're ambassadors of kindness and niceness. Uh, we did run into a lot of Americans who were smoking cigars for the first time. And the interactions were uh, amusing, to say the least. Uh, I'm going to throw a guy from New York under the bus. Super nice guy. But he's like, uh, so this uh, Romeo and Julieta, um, do I cut both ends? 
<laughs> and I'm like, and you know, and all of us are like, okay, don't laugh at the guy. You know, you, and, and, and this really extends, I'd say outside of the, you know, this is a general cigar thing. I would say, oh, yeah, don't, absolutely. don't make fun of somebody who's smoking a cigar for the first time, because that's a great way to ruin their cigar experience. You got, I mean, I wanted to laugh cause it's so ridiculous, but you stifle that and you realize, Hey, I was a new smoker at one time too. Um, I had to ask a lot of questions. So, you know, I said, okay, well, First things first, take the cedar lining off the cigar because you don't want to smoke that. <laughs> so number one. Number two, uh, this is the cap. This is the foot. You cut the cap. You can see how this ends open. That's how you know that's the end you want to smoke. This ends closed. That's how you know it's the end you want to cut. So we cut it and we lit it and we got them all set up. And he was happy. And, you know, I look at that as being almost like a cigar ambassador because now this guy's going to go back to New York and maybe he's going to go into a shop in a B&M in, in uh, New York and say, listen, I smoked this cigar in Cuba. You know, do you have something you can recommend? Maybe a Connecticut shade or something. And now maybe we'll turn this guy into a cigar smoker. And if we'd made fun of him and picked on him. Yeah, he just would have you know. been turned off by cigars in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. If yeah. anything we can do, like, I mean, it sounds so silly, but anything mm-hmm. I can do to make a new cigar smoker, I'll do it. Got to feel. You got to make them feel welcome. I mean, we're all brothers and sisters of the leaf. You know, you don't. You don't want to be a jerk. I mean, what does Jose Blanco say? And I love Jose's term. Ho- Jose is hilarious. Jose makes me laugh. And Jose Blanco says the only thing that could ruin a good cigar is smoking it next to an asshole. And he's and completely right. It's completely right. So you know, be nice, be respectful. Um, we all came from a place where we didn't smoke cigars. So when you get a new smoker, that's a great opportunity to be a cigar ambassador, be welcoming, be friendly, be kind, be educational, help them out, make them feel welcome. And maybe they'll, they'll join the group, you know, they'll join the the very small group that we are around the world. Being that you had some interaction with Americans, how did the Americans generally represent themselves compared to, you know, the ambassador kind of representation of, of a Canadian? I'm so guessing I'm gonna, it was not quite as <laughs> as uh, debonair. No, so I'm going to get myself into trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So, uh, you know, we used to have a saying back in 2013, 2014, when travel was extremely restricted to Cuba, um, that it was very easy to spot the American because all you had to do was listen to the person who was being very loud and complaining about everything. And we talk about Cuba and we kind of give it this sort of romantic air, but Cuba is like a little bit like Basic Instinct. So you think about the scene in Basic Instinct with Sharon Stone. Really hot woman, really great sex. But under the table, under the bed, there's a knife waiting. And by that I mean, you know, you're having a great night out in Cuba. You're having this great food. It's a wonderful experience. But you get back to your hotel and your and your toilet doesn't work for two days. And... Sounds I think a lot it's like Nicaragua. Yeah, well, you know what? Ro- Nicaragua, in a lot of ways, is an easy experience for me because I know when I go there, my shower works, my toilet works. Um, you know, the the basic level of everything is more uh, modern and normal. Um, you know, I take for well, so you take for granted. <clears throat> man, I could talk for hours in Cuba, but you take for granted stuff like internet. But I have to say, one of the most relaxing things about Cuba is going down and not, and, and it makes me sound like an old dude, because I am, but going down and having conversations with people, and you can't be on your phone. There's no internet. So you have to have a personal interaction. You have to have a conversation. So it's a great experience in the sense that you go down, you get eight or, guy, eight or ten guys together, you smoke cigars, you drink mojitos, you drink daiquiris, 
you drink rum and and you talk till three in the morning and it's a great experience. It's a fun experience and it's a very personal experience. And that's, again, it's the people that I go back for, but extrapolating back on what I was originally saying is in 2013, 2014 spot, the Americans was very easily. They were, they were loud. They're complaining about the elevators breaking down. They're complaining about the elevators being slow. And the thing is, if you go to Cuba, you got and, and and my good friend Hamlet Paredes. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story because I love Hamlet. He's he's a great friend, uh, really great friend. And when I went down in 2013, Hamlet was a fantastic ambassador for Cuba because he said, and "I'm gonna do my Hamlet impression. He's gonna make fun of me, but it's, but he'd say, you know, John, you know what your problem is, man. You got your Cuban head on, or you got your Canadian head on right now. You're worried about time. You're worried about this. You're worried about that." What you need to do, man, is you need to unscrew your Canadian head. You need to take that Canadian head. You need to put it on a shelf. You need to take your Cuban head. You need to screw your Cuban head on. Everything will be fine. And it took me the first time I was down two or th- almost three days to get my Cuban head screwed on. And when I got my Cuban head screwed on, everything was good. Because I stopped caring about timelines. I stopped caring about my email. I stopped caring about what was going on with work. And all I cared about was like, what's happening later? It doesn't matter. It's it's important what's happening right now. What are we doing Living right in the now? Moment. Living in the moment. And in a lot of ways, I get that out of Nicaragua, out of my cigar safari experience. Uh, and, you know, I definitely get that when I go down to Cuba. And it's a nice way to sort of recenter yourself and get your head screwed back on. Because I think in a lot of ways we can learn from that is that you really need to stop freaking out about stuff that's out of your control and panicking about stuff that hasn't happened because it doesn't do anything for you. And for me, that's a great experience. You know, I come back so relaxed from a mental perspective. Just, mm-hmm. I just don't get worked up about stuff that I shouldn't get worked up about. Um, so where I'm going with this really long story is that all the Americans we ran into now, uh, I don't know if a lot of them this is their first time or second time, but they had a really great attitude. They had a really great attitude of wanting to experience the culture, take it all in. They didn't want to judge it. They didn't want to complain about it. And I'd say every single American we ran into down there was super chill and super nice and super interested in what was going on. And none of them were worried about their cell phones or they weren't worried about, you know, what was going on later that day. They were just happy in that moment. And no, uh, their Cuban heads on their Cuban heads were on and it was a great experience. So the part of the reason I asked that is yesterday there was a video that somebody posted in the chat on Cigar Federation. And it was uh, BJ Baldwin. He's a he's a moto racer. He he races. Uh, I don't remember exactly trophy trucks. Okay. Um, and he apparently has started doing the Jim Connor thing. Have you seen those from Ken Block? I have not. Where he just he just tears up in a like he drifts around and stuff like that. So he did one in Cuba. Oh yeah. And I felt like watching it. It was like this is really cool to watch. He's do, going off jumps in the middle of the street and stuff. And I just felt like you're kind of being a dick right now, like just yeah. driving through the forests in Cuba, uh, yeah. tearing stuff up, doing burnouts. Um, and I, I was a little worried that that was the kind of general attitude uh, from the uh, from Americans is that, you know, Cuba's just it's just a place to go on vacation and tear shit up. No, I think, you know, again, it's an anecdotal experience because it's only my experience. But of course. I do I do. 100% say that all the Americans are down, down there were very respectful and more interested in learning 
what it was like in Cuba, um, you know, the reality of Cuba and there's good and there's bad. I mean, absolutely there's bad. Um, but they were there to learn about what that experience was. They weren't there to judge. They were there to just take it in and it was cool. I mean, it was, uh, you know, that's, I mean, knowing Americans obviously as well as I do, that's the America that I know. You know, the America that I know is people who will give you their shirt off their back. Real Americans are the people that will give their shirt off their back. You know, if you're down a stick, they'll give you three. If you don't have money for a cab ride, they'll cover your cab ride. And, you know, that's the American spirit to me is that people constantly looking out for each other and, and caring about each other. And it's good to see that sort of progress into Cuba where people are really bringing that attitude into Cuba where they're like, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm down here. I'm not here to judge. Um, I've never been here. I don't know your culture. I, I, you know, I probably don't have an understanding of your history, good and bad. I'm here to learn. And, uh, yeah, all the Americans down there were super cool people, super chill. And it was, um, it was fun. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And um, like I said, because of the way we were eating, I fortunately did not come back fat, which is great. Um, someone commented, I think it was Danny Vasquez. No, I can't remember who it was. Somebody commented about not drinking the water, and I kind of laughed because, <laughs> uh, you know, that's a lesson I've known. Was it, was it Trent? I don't know. But I laughed because, you know, obviously many trips to Nicaragua, it's, it's ingrained in my head when I go to Cuba, when I go to Nicaragua, you just don't touch the water. You just don't risk it. You don't touch the water. And... Um, I tend to view rum both in Nicaragua and in Cuba as medicinal. So, you know, with oh, a healthy of dose of rum, everything gets killed. So you have some funky whatever, bunch of rum. Yeah, if you, don't, if you right don't have any bottled water, uh, 50% rum, 50% water, you'll be good. <laughs> Brush your teeth with it, take a shower with it, whatever you need. Yeah, I always have bottled water on hand because uh, yeah. I learned that lesson going on to Nicaragua in 2013 and not drinking enough water. That is a uh, that is a bad scene. That is a bad oh, bad scene. Did, did you see me at Mombacho? Like I was raging on water. You got to man. I was raging and I've learned that the, lesson. The next day when we came back to Mombacho, you guys left on the plane, and we went back. And as soon as we walked in, Claudio's like, two waters for this guy." Yeah. You got to, man. You just got to stay hydrated. It's the key to living in an environment that that's, that's that hot and that humid. And especially, you know, we're just not used to it. So, yeah. 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 Our bodies just aren't accustomed to lose that much water every 24 hours. No. So, yeah. So, um, so I may be going down uh, in November for the Partagas Festival in Cuba. I haven't been for a couple of years, um, partially because, you know, I'm busy and partially because, uh, you know, really, I just haven't haven't been able to work into the schedule. I do like the Partagas Festival. I think this is going to be the uh, 30th Partagas Festival, so it's kind of a special one. And uh, part of the part of the fun of that is seeing people internationally, um, like Robert Fox out of uh, out of uh, Ireland that uh, I haven't seen in a really long time. Rob Ayala from Australia, super nice guys, and I love hanging out with them. But I don't fly to Ireland every week, and I don't fly to Australia. I've never been to Australia. So the nice thing about going to Cuba is, like, it's kind of a meeting group where all these people from all over the world go down. And, you know, to me, it's a little bit like IPCPR. It's a great chance to catch up with people that I haven't seen in ages and hang out and and smoke and drink and, you know, and, again, set your phones down and reminisce and chat and have fun. So what is the Partagas Festival? Now, I'm I'm interested now. So Yeah, the Partagas, so there's two festivals. There's a Partagas Festival, which is always held typically the second week of November, and there's the Habanos Festival, 
the Partagas Festival tends to be consumer-driven, and the Panos Festival tends to be a little bit more industry-driven. So think of it a little bit like the IPCPR and the TAA, although that's probably a bad analogy because the IPCPR is industry-driven. So They're both industry-driven. They're industry-driven, so scratch that. So really, um, you know, the Partagas is almost like a big smoke, and the Banos Festival is almost like an IPCPR. I've never been down to Cuba for the Banos Festival, partially because uh, it's really expensive and it comes at a really bad time of the year for me. Um, and typically my friends want to go down in November because that's just tend- when it tends to work out. So And it's cold um, at home. And it's cold at home. It starts to get cold at home, and then, you know. I hate that. So uh, it's a great chance to go down and try out a bunch of the new cigar releases because there tends to be a lot of cigar releases around the third quarter uh, in Cuba. So a lot of the additional matadas tend to get released and you get a sense of what's coming for the um, for the upcoming year. So that's kind of... So the Partagas Festival is not just Partagas. It's no. really just another Habanos Festival. Yeah, it's more, like I said, it's okay. more of a consumer-driven festival. Um, this, like I said, 30th anniversary will be coming this year. Um, there's a bunch of events that are tied to that, um, you know, like factory uh, factory tours, going out to the different farms in Pinar del Rio. Um, again, in many ways, well, actually, you know what? It's like Puro Sabor. That's probably a good way to put it. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. I was actually mm-hmm. thinking about that because yeah. that's really, that's the thing where consumers are invited mm-hmm. to come just you know, experience the culture, uh, smoke some new stuff and enjoy it. So I'd say there's a better than average chance I'll be down there. And if I do go down there, I'll probably take my camera gear, um, try to do some coverage. I doubt they'll give me a press pass. Although, you know, I don't expect the bonus essay is, uh, tune into the broadcast. What the hell, man? How you do I not know. get a press pass? What the hell? Like, I've been covering Habano stuff for five-plus years now. You know, I feel a little slighted, I'll be honest. I feel a little <laughs> slighted. Good Canadian, you know, can go down anytime. Don't get a press pass. But, yeah, if I go down for the Partagas Festival, um, I'll probably haul my camera gear down, which is kind of a hassle. Um, but it's a great opportunity to catch uh, video stuff, do some interviews. Um, Definitely. Plus, you know, like I said, catch up with friends and a bunch of people internationally that I haven't seen in ages. So, yeah. So, Ramon Iones, Club Iones, 2015 edition La Matata. It's a good cigar. I really I like, I like, wish I had more of these. Yeah. You might I mean, have more of them. A, a lot of times, like, uh, we talked a little bit before the show. For me, Habanos fall flat a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, you can buy a box, you can buy a five-pack, you can buy a three-pack, and they're just not, I mean, they're good. They're good cigars, but they're not always, like, you know, something that you really want to go back to. This is something that I could see myself smoking a lot of. Yeah. I mean, I think the American palate is really more accustomed to non-Cubans, you know, Nicaraguan and Dominican cigars, which are going to be a lot stronger, a lot more in your face. The flavor profile is very different. You know, when I, when people talk about Habanos versus non-Habanos, to me, it's like, it's not an argument. (laughs) It's like, you know, Habanos are chicken and non-Cubans are steak. And do I want to eat steak all the time? Well, no, not really. Like occasionally I like to switch it up and get some chicken, you know, get some chicken figures, get some get some nice tasty fried chicken. And I don't want to limit myself to one type of cigar. I don't want to just smoke Nicaraguan cigars. I don't want to just smoke Dominican cigars. I don't want to just smoke cigars from Mexico. I don't want to just smoke Cabanos. I like to smoke everything. I like the different flavor profiles that I get out of those different cigars. That's yeah. That's me. That's not for everybody. Some people like them. Some people yeah. Don't. That's exactly my point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Cuban cigars are good. Uh, they're certainly not terrible. I wouldn't call them the best, like a lot of people say. 
Yeah. I don't know what exactly is the best. It's uh, the best cigar is the one you're smoking today and enjoying it. That's yeah, the exactly. best cigar. It's, Tomorrow it's going to be something from Southern Draw Cigars. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're just they're different and they're unique. You can't mimic the flavor of a Cuban cigar. No. With anything else, just like you can't just mimic like the flavor of a Nicaraguan cigar or a Dominican cigar. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, the unique profiles, and that's why I like. I like variety. Some people don't, and that's all right too. That's exactly what Bob Langmaid just said on on uh, Facebook. Variety is my thing, mm-hmm. and he's right. Obviously, there's a much more complicated discussion to be had about whether Cuban cigars should be allowed in the United States in an environment where non-Cuban cigars have been oppressed by the FDA. But you know, we've had that we've had that conversation in cigar chat. Yeah. I have strong feelings about that. I think it's I think it's bullshit. Yeah, me too. But, you know what are you going to do? Hopefully, um, hopefully some of that gets overturned and and it's a more fair market going forward. That'd be nice. Hopefully, yeah. So we will be back tomorrow night at eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time with uh, if if you haven't tuned in until now, Robert Holt from Southern Draw Cigars, very interesting guy, uh, very classy guy, big gentleman, and by big I mean he's huge. He he might he's a be massive. Um, he's a massive dude. And we're gonna have the conversation tomorrow night about who's bigger, him or uh, or Willie Herrera or Robert Caldwell. Or Omar. Omar de Frias. <laughs> yeah, big dudes, man. It, it'd be nice to, if at the FPCBR, we could get them all lined up. Actually, with Colin Ganley from uh, Twin Engine, because Colin's a, a pretty tall dude, too, and kind of have a tall off and see who the biggest <laughs> dude in the cigar industry is. I think that'd be really fun and a lot of interesting. Yeah, I think so, too. Good times. All right, so we'll be back. Make sure to tune in tomorrow night. IPCBR, or uh, <laughs> my head is all over the place. This, I've still got my Cuban head on. Make sure to tune in tomorrow night for Cigar Chat Live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Robert Holt from Cigar Chat. I'm your host, John, the Cigar Surgeon, joined by Trippy Trent. We are sharing our pairing sense for tuning in for an hour and 10-minute session. Thanks for all podcast listeners out there. I uh, hope you guys have subscribed. Wherever you are in the world, we know you're all over the world and hope you've been entertained for this hour and 10 minutes. We'll be back next week with another live sharing our pairings. As we always say on sharing our pairings, drink better, but drink less.